Welcome and bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Left hand, side pocket, right arm, akimbo and relaxed, head up, gaze steady. Now you're ready, so you stroll in, survey them, your world, they're all invited guests, feel out how to play them, and remember this, you're giving them what they want, Zabazoo, giving them what they want, an adventure all the run, giving them what they want, like they're in a movie. I never forget that what they want is half smile. Demi surreal, David Niven, put on a bold countenance, was tragic and amused. High style, they come here for that's a given. And don't forget, all I'm doing is I'm giving them what they want. I do. But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode of The Musical Man finds you well. I want to start by saying thank you to Harry. Harry reached out to me and he told me about a Southwark Playhouse production of Grand Hotel that ended with the staff rising up against the guests, stripping them of their possessions and encircling them like wild game. Ugh, sounds like a bummer. I know, <laughs> I know that I implied that I want Wanted to see the staff rise up and eat the rich, roll out the guillotine, but uh, the actual idea of seeing that on stage, oh, a bummer, depressing. Otto and Flemshin specifically deserve a happy ending. Harry, I thank you again for this information. You are a font of knowledge. I also want to thank Liz for reaching out in the wake of my latest public display of weariness on Twitter. I do my best to avoid posting cynical tweets because because they inevitably embarrass me and I wind up deleting them, but there are moments where I can't seem to help myself. I am a frustrating person. I frustrate myself. I often find myself wishing for a larger audience, and in wishing for that, I lose sight of the amazing audience we already have. Any audience that includes Liz is a great audience, in my opinion. While trying... Okay, so next topic. We are just burning through these points. While trying trying to figure out when we last made reference to the Tennis Podcast. If you've been listening from the very beginning, you know the Tennis Podcast I'm talking about. I've never, I've never cited it by name out of basic respect for the hosts. Okay, so I was trying to figure out when we last talked about that show, and in doing that, I found myself revisiting Benny's experience, his encounter with a bat. I had completely forgotten about this, but listening, oh my gosh, listening to me talk about about it in hindsight. Ooh, it all came flooding back. Remember the bat? Benny, there was a bat in your home. I, I have seen the footage Benny did at the time. He sent me video footage of the bat that he and his fiance were dealing with. Side note, actually more of a tangent. <laughs> Benny has has taken to wearing, he's wearing it right now. He is wearing a novelty beanie with a propeller, and he started doing this during our recording of the Broadway in Chicago, Oklahoma 
Oklahoma episode that is now available via Patreon. Hello. And, okay, so it's it's multicolored. It has a propeller. It's a whole thing. I have only just learned, I learned this a couple of minutes ago, that this beanie was a birthday present he bought for himself. He gave himself a little treat. Patty is apparently getting one for her birthday, which is right around the corner. And mine, I am getting one too, I guess, is already in the mail. I guess we're not waiting until October for me to get my propeller beanie. Benny wants us to be a family when it comes to this accessory, so I guess we're just propeller beanie people moving forward. I promise I've already said that I will be wearing my beanie during the next episode, okay? All right, fine. <laughs> yes! Stop pointing at me. I already said that I would. Shush. We most recently... Okay, back to my main my main point. We most recently talked about that tennis podcast at the top of our Golden Boy episode. That's episode number 88 for those who are keeping track. Their feed, the tennis podcast feed, has officially been revived. After a very long period of darkness and silence, the feed has been revived, but only one of the two original hosts is still around. We are fascinated by this development. Only one of the two guys is still there. He's holding down the tennis podcast fort, and the other host is a totally new guy. I don't know what happened. I don't know if there was a falling out of some sort, or if they simply parted ways on congenial terms. Who knows? I don't know. I actually don't want to know. <laughs> I, uh, I think we actually have more fun theorizing from a distance. Those two guys, the original hosts of the Tennis Podcast, I when I look back on that period of time for the show, for our show, when we were bumping into them at the old studio space, oh, I do not miss that. I, 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 I never want to see either of those guys again. They wore joiks. And the Tennis Podcast is apparently recording at our old studio space. They are still there. And you might be wondering, well, when is the musical man gonna get back into the studio? I remember that you guys were talking about that. You had plans. You were trying to figure it out. Well, I have an update in regards to that as well. I am here to report that we will not be returning to our old studio space. We want to be in a studio. We love that environment. We love the structure of that environment. But unfortunately, I, I don't want to get into the details of this because it's a little prickly, but the negotiations fell through. We simply did not feel comfortable going back to that space, and now, Patty, Benny, and I, I say, I say we, but it's really Patty and Benny. They are doing 98% of the legwork here, but they are looking into a studio space of our very own. We don't want to share the space with anyone. We want total control. We want as much safety as possible. We want regulations, and if we're gonna be in a studio, we deserve to be safe. We deserve to feel safe at at every moment, at every possible moment at least. So we will keep you updated as to how that is going. But now it is time to provide some show facts. Yes, I had a blank moment just then. But yes, now it's time to give you the show facts regarding dirty, rotten, scoundrels. Show me the show facts. Okay. 
Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is a 2005 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on March 3rd, 2005 at the Imperial Theater and ran for 627 performances. The book was written by Jeffrey Lane and it is based on the 1988 Frank Oz film, which stars Glenn Headley, Steve Martin, and Michael Caine and was written by Dale Launer, Stanley Shapiro, and Paul Henning. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is actually a remake of a 1964 Ralph Levy film, the title of which is Bedtime Story. It stars Shirley Jones, Marlon Brando, and David Niven. I had never heard of Bedtime Story. Is it worth checking out? I ask you, the listener, if you've seen Bedtime Story, let me know what you think about that film. I have heard of The Hustle, the 2019 remake of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which stars Rebel Wilson and Anne Hathaway. Considering that film's reputation, I'm fairly sure I will never get around to watching it. My apologies to The Hustle. But let's get back to the show facts. Music and lyrics were provided by David Yazbek. Hello again, David. The director of the original Broadway production of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels was Jack O'Brien. Musical director, Ted Sperling. Orchestrations, Harold Wheeler. Choreographer, Jerry Mitchell. Scenic design, David Rockwell. Lighting design, Kenneth Posner. Hello again, Kenneth. Sound design, Acme Sound Partners, we remember you as well. Hello, Acme. Costume design, Greg Barnes. And the original Broadway cast included Norbert Leo Butts, I was shocked to find. Hunter Foster never stepped in at any point for Norbert Leo Butts, but it's true, he never, he never did the show. Hunter Foster would have been great in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. We also have John Lithgow, I was shocked. Shocked to find Victor Garber never stepped in for John Lithgow. He would have been great. We also have Sherry Renee Scott, Sarah Gettlefinger, Joanna Gleason. Hello, Joanna. And Gregory Jabara. Tony nods. The production won the Tony Award for Best Actor in a Musical, which went to Norbert Leo Butts. It was additionally nominated for Best Musical, of course, but also Best Book of a Musical, Jeffrey Lane. Best Original Score, David Yazbek. Best Actor in a Musical, John Lithgow. Best Actress in a Musical, Sherry Renee Scott, Best Featured Actress in a Musical, Joanna Gleason, Best Choreography, Jerry Mitchell, Best Direction of a Musical, Jack O'Brien, Best Orchestrations, Harold Wheeler, and Best Lighting Design of a Musical, Kenneth Posner. Congratulations, Kenneth. So, to review, 11 Tony nominations, one award at the end of the evening. You know what time it is? It's time to tackle the plot. Let's get that summary. Lawrence Jameson has one occupation in life, separating vast fortunes from the women who possess them. Women who yearn for romance, adventure, and just a hint of danger. Women like Muriel Eubanks. Like all of our anti-heroes targets, Muriel believes Lawrence is an ousted prince who fights for his persecuted subjects. The money she provides to aid this noble cause winds up in one of several Swiss bank accounts. But after a steamy night with Lawrence, Muriel is too starry-eyed to question her good fortune. Lawrence has established a comfortable, albeit predictable, life for himself on the French Riviera, but competition is on the horizon. According to Andre, the local police chief who works alongside Lawrence, an American criminal known as the Jackal is planning to set up shop in their town of Beaumont-sur-Mer. Who is the Jackal and what are his plans? Only time will tell. One day, while taking the train from Switzerland, Lawrence notices an American swindler by the name of Freddie Benson. Could Freddie be the Jackal? 
Possibly, though his reputation would appear to be greatly exaggerated. Freddy has no class, no style, no vision. He is the definition of small time. Lawrence poses as a dentist and advises Freddy to avoid Beaumont-sur-Mer, which he characterizes as a geriatric ghost town. There's no action for you here, Freddy. Oh, forget about it. The ruse is spoiled when Muriel spots Lawrence getting off the train. She seats herself next to Freddy and speaks in a conspiratorial whisper. I see you are a friend of the prince as well. Freddy blinks. Hold on a minute. Lawrence Jameson is no dentist, and he is certainly no prince. Why, I dare say he is nothing more than a con man, just like Freddy. We smash cut to Lawrence at his mansion, where he and Andre are divvying up their latest spoils. Freddy kicks down the door and is overwhelmed with envy. Oh, he wants this. He wants Lawrence to teach him how to con his way into getting this. And if the old shyster refuses, Freddy will expose him to the world. Lawrence is intrigued. Like the women he seduces, our anti-hero has been looking for a change, and so he agrees to act as Freddy's mentor. Andre is, unsurprisingly, horrified. He advises Lawrence to drop the American ASAP, but when Jolene Oakes appears with a gun, all bets are off. Jolene is dead set on marrying Lawrence. He seduced her, and now she wants to go all in. She is literally dead set on marrying him. Marry me or die, your majesty. Freddy saves the day by posing as Ruprecht, the prince's devoted and demented brother. Upon realizing Ruprecht will be a permanent fixture in her life, Jolene vanishes in an instant. Freddy and Lawrence are delighted by the results of their handiwork. They are having fun. They are bonding. Alas, the dirty, rotten alliance does not last long. The Riviera ain't big enough for the both of them, and so one of them has to go. A deal is struck. The first man to con $50,000 out of an unsuspecting lass shall call Beaumont-Sumer his home. A sinning duck, quack quack, soon comes into view. Christine Colgate. She is a hopeless, hapless, phoebe, a flibbertigibbet, a clown, honk honk. Not incidentally, Christine is also the American soap queen, which means she has money to spare. Soap money. Freddy introduces himself as Sergeant Buzz Benson, an unassuming hayseed who is paralyzed from the waist down. I believe the official diagnosis is dance fever. The only person who may be able to help Buzz is a Dr. Schulfhausen, but the doctor's experimental treatments come with a hefty fee, $50,000. Note, Having established Christine knows Freddy as Buzz, I will refer to the character as Freddy moving forward, if only for the sake of clarity. There's no reason for us to be ping-ponging between Freddy, Buzz, Buzz, Freddy, 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 Buzz, Buzz. No, forget about it. Christine is moved by Freddy's plight. She agrees to write to Dr. Schuffhausen on his behalf and assures him that when the time comes, money will not be an issue. Hold on, what's this? Dr. Schuffhausen is on the Riviera at this very moment? He is a guest at Christine's hotel? Freddy is mortified. How is this possible? 
Lawrence enters and proclaims himself to be Dr. Schaffhausen. Ah, treachery! Sabotage! He then proceeds to whip Freddy's legs until they are black and blue. Hiya! Hiya! Yo, mama! With time, Lawrence comes to understand Christine is not wealthy at all. She has no connection to Big Soap. She simply earned a European vacation after winning a soap company's contest. But Christine is determined to pay Dr. Schaffhausen's fee, even if it means selling the family farm back home. Every stick of furniture, every piece of jewelry, no sacrifice is too great for Buzz. The terms of the bet are hastily altered. Money is no longer the object. If Freddy can convince Christine to sleep with him, he will live out the rest of his days on the Riviera. If Freddy fails to sleep with Christine, Lawrence will remain as king of the mountain. Agreed? Agreed. Suddenly, Lawrence is kidnapped by sailors, an arrangement made by Freddy just a few hours earlier. Ah, treachery, sabotage. Freddy goes to Christine so he may confess his love. If she were to love him in return, it may very well inspire Freddy to walk again. Christine calls out to Freddy from across the room. You can do it! I know you can! I believe in you! Freddy slowly rises from his wheelchair and stumbles toward Christine. Lord in heaven, it's nothing short of a miracle! Lawrence appears once more as Dr. Schaffhausen. As it turns out, Christine orchestrated this scenario with aid from the doctor, all for the sake of curing Freddy once and for all. And it worked! Hooray! A downright furious Freddy finds he has no time to react. The sailors who kidnapped Lawrence have now been employed by Lawrence to kidnap Freddy. Ah, treachery, sabotage. How did Lawrence convince the sailors to let him go in the first place? Well, you see, Lawrence is an officer with the Royal Naval Reserve, birds of a feather, etc. Under the guise of Dr. Schaffhausen, Lawrence orders Christine to take the next train out of Beaumont-sur-Mer. He cannot allow Freddy to take advantage of someone so kind, someone he has come to care for despite his best efforts. Freddy, having managed to evade his captors, returns to Christine's hotel to find her room is empty. He is too late. But what's this? Christine got off the train and came back to the hotel. She loves Freddy! They embrace, but Freddy is knocked out cold when their heads come crashing together. Bonk! We smash cut to the mansion. Lawrence, believing Freddy has won the bet, is preparing to leave town when Christine arrives in tears. Ah! She had sex with Freddy, and upon waking up, she found he had stolen everything. Her traveler's checks, her $50,000, even her change purse. Who would steal a change purse? Lawrence gives Christine a suitcase filled with $50,000 of his own money, but she refuses to accept it. After all, who needs money when you have a friend like Dr. Schaffhausen. Lawrence bids Christine adieu once more. Bon voyage! But what's this? Uh-oh. Freddy has been apprehended by the police. He's wearing nothing but boxer shorts and Christine's nightgown. The sobering truth is revealed. Freddy and Christine never had sex, and he never stole any money from her. After being bonked on the head... Bonk! Freddy awoke to find his clothes were missing. Lawrence opens the suitcase to find his money has been replaced with Freddy's stinky, stinky clothes. Ah, treachery, sabotage. The suitcase also contains a note. Quote, goodbye, boys. It was fun. Love the jackal. Quote, 
Christine was the jackal this whole time. Who could have guessed? Most people, probably. While ruminating on their bizarre experience a few weeks later, Freddie and Lawrence agree it was a hell of a good time. Just then, Christine returns with a pack of daft and dewy-eyed dopes in tow. These people have more money than God, but it'll take more than one con artist to bleed them dry. What do you say, boys? Interested? Freddie and Lawrence are more than interested. They adore the idea. In other news, Andre fell in love with Muriel, uh, presumably so the show could clock in at two and a half hours. Anyway, the end. For the purposes of this week's episode, I revisited the 1988 Frank Oz motion picture, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, which I would describe as fun, if not funny. I do not find the film to be particularly Particularly funny, if, I, if I'm being totally honest, the comedic rhythms have changed since 1988. That's the only way that I can explain it. Comedies function differently now. Something about the pace and the rhythm was off for me. I never really clicked with the picture, but it's fun to see Michael Caine playing a cad. I don't know if I find a Steve Martin that funny. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I really didn't, I, I didn't gel with the movie. I, I have no reason to revisit that film ever again. At that point, I moved on to the 2005 original Broadway cast album of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, The Musical. Once again, I found myself horrified to find I was missing several tracks from this album. Oh, my goodness. And so I bought a fresh digital copy via Amazon. Oh, Amazon, what would we do without you? You gotta have all of the tracks, is what my brain was screaming at me. What do you mean you don't have all of the tracks? tracks. Are you out of your mind? Get a fresh copy. We gotta have all the tracks. And then I watched a 2005 bootleg video recording of the original Broadway production featuring all of the members of the original Broadway cast. Date of performance unknown. I don't know what performance specifically was being captured by this bootleg. It's a very good bootleg. It's on YouTube. It's very easy to follow. Very well shot. I, I for whatever reason, I enjoyed this joke, this exchange between Andre and Lawrence. Andre says, if it's a roller coaster you want, I'll take you to the fair. I'll even buy you a pencil. To which Lawrence replies, a pencil? And Andre says, uh, they serve these uh, big pencils? I don't know. <laughs> It's very funny. I also enjoyed Norbert Leo Butts in this in this performance. He executes a gag, a bit of physical comedy, with a piece of beef jerky that goes on forever. It was so well done. You have to see it. It has to be seen to be believed. Oh, that's what I say to you. And then finally, I watched the 2005 Tony Awards performance of Great Big Stuff. Anyone who doesn't steal, oh my God, the whole thing turns from Norbert Leo Butts is leaving money on the floor. Take that joke from him. Do it. It'll get a laugh. Of course, your set would have to turn. Make sure the set turns before you say that or else it won't make any sense. We unsurprisingly are censoring the dirty language throughout this number. We are censoring the word Hummers and we are censoring the word ass because this is network television. Thank you very much. You think you can get away with saying Hummers? 
and ass on CBS. Go fuck yourself. He's now come to that point in the show where we talk about the score of this week's subject. I want to start with Give Them What They Want. You would have heard the show's opening number, Give Them What They Want, at the outset of this episode, right up top. So there's no need for us to play that clip again. What you will not be hearing today is the only game in town which replaced Give Them What They Want when Dirty Run Scoundrels first went on tour in America. A demo record quote-unquote, of this new number can be found on YouTube, but I will not subject you to the poor sound mix. If you want to subject yourself to that, find it on YouTube. Again, the name of that new number is The Only Game in Town. You'll find that demo very easily, but fair warning to you, the music is way too loud, and the vocals are overshadowed as a result. They're all the way in the distance. In the distance. No thanks! Okay, it is now time to actually hear some audio from the score. Let's jump to what was a woman to do. Patty, Benny, can we hear a bit of that, please? Last night I met a man beneath a pale and haunted moon, a man no woman could refuse. Bold and assertive, with a furtive air of mystery, magically long of lash, tragically short of cash. As he approached, he wore an aura of nobility. I wore these Ferragamo shoes. This was at last I knew my rendezvous with history. What was a woman? What was a woman to do? And when he smiled, he lit the night with grace and confidence. His teeth were clean and straight and Directly at them, they were that intense. What was a woman? What was a woman to do? Look, I'm going to come right out and say this because it needs to be said, and I am brave for speaking up. Joanna Gleason deserved more. More time in the spotlight, more meat into which she could sink her teeth. We support Joanna Gleason around here. We believe her time and talent are valuable and should not be taken for granted. The part of Muriel is beyond minor in the original film, and though the musical greatly expands upon the character, it still feels as if we are making room for a performer who should be acting as an anchor point. The show is aware of this problem. Near the end of Act 1, Muriel checks back into the hotel at Beaumont-sur-Mer after initially embarking for home. The explanation? She says, quote, I can't imagine I won't be of use to someone in the second act, quote, throwaway lines like this may drum up laughs, but they are no substitute for carefully considered writing. As it stands, Muriel only exists to pad out the runtime of the show, we have said as much already, her songs, What Was a Woman to Do, which you just heard, and Like This, Like That, a duet shared with Andre are undercooked. To those who say I am being picky, I ask, should I not want more for Joanna? Are you saying Joanna should not have more? TLDR, this is not an episode of Love Boat, and Joanna Gleason is not a special guest star. I 
thought I'd seen it all I thought I knew the score But coming here I found a world I've never seen before Now I know where I belong A life of taste and class With culture and sophistication Pouring out my ass What do I want? I want this I want this Ah, I want this I thought I had a real gift That penny anti grift But Freddy's getting ready now to give his life a lift I'm tired of being a chump I wanna be like Trump 200 pounds of caviar and one gigantic lump Give me great big stuff This is how I gotta live Great big stuff Oh, oh no alternative Great big stuff I want my silver spoon Don't need it right now A mansion with a moat Around which I will float With some vast bottom babies In my glass bottom boat A house in the Bahamas Paisley silk pajamas Poker with Al Roker And our friend Lorenzo Llamas Give me great big stuff I really do deserve it Great big stuff With servants who will serve it Great big stuff I don't give a damn what it's for Every day's my birthday I am not interested in rolling about in a wheelchair for the sake of amusing an audience, but if I had the opportunity to perform great big stuff as a standalone piece, I would take it. It's one of those rare gopher-broke comedy numbers where you have to put yourself before the material. Just throw the material under the bus, because let's face it, these jokes were already brushing up against their expiration dates in 2005. If anyone is laughing, it's because they enjoy what you are doing with this character. Your physical choices, your line delivery, your unwavering commitment to showmanship. Nothing else matters. Can we please talk about the reference to Donald Trump? I want to be like Trump. 200 pounds of caviar in one gigantic lump. That shit gave me whiplash. The Apprentice had only been on the air, get this, for a year when Dirty Rotten Scoundrels premiered on Broadway. So we are still operating on the idea that Donald is classy, a real sophisticate, but he's also cool, you know? Guys like Freddy would believe they could have a beer with Trump and maybe even become Trump if they're lucky enough. 2005, am I right? Hard to believe exactly 15,000 years have passed since then. Dress up a monkey in Armani. He may seem precocious and cute. Despite all that primping, you still got that chimp in a suit. Teach him the second verse of Swami. And most of Moon River to boot. Sure, people will keep, but you still got an ape in a suit. Spritz him till wet with the eau de toilette, and you're still gonna get a stench. 
damp on him well in a court of Chanel. It won't cover the smell. I should know. I'm French. Take him to see Don Giovanni. Show him Cezanne's lovely fruits. Teach him to cook from Escoffier's book. He's still a gorilla on croods. You still got that chimp in a suit. If Lawrence is meant to be the straight man to Freddy's fool, Andre is the ramrod stuffed shirt, the regimented Frenchman who bristles in the face of any alteration to the status quo. Dude's a total cube, bro. And Gregory Jabara plays the part to perfection. He is racking up points with his audience at every possible opportunity, and Chimp in a Suit proves to be a minor masterclass on the power of innate charm. Once again, we find the material takes a backseat to the performer. Who cares about these lyrics? We care about Jabara, baby! His performance reminded me of Roderick Cook, who played Gerald in one of our former subjects, Woman of the Year. I am all about a snoot. I am all about breezy, grounded, character-based comedy that has no concern for large-scale Broadway pyrotechnics, and that is exactly what Chimp in a Suit has to offer. I bite into it like I would a croissant. You see, my dear, every royal family, by its nature, has a sort of price that it must pay. Every noble lineage has one loose gene, small as a molecule, flitting around the family pool. It's the sort of thing one sees in Appalachia or in the odd, inbred Bichon Friseur. It really can be such a nasty stain on the escutcheon when a wisp of DNA begins to fray, then goes astray. Caligula had the temper, the Habsburgs had the chin, George III went cuckoo bird, and Nero had that violin. Richard, you'll remember, had the hump and the withered limb. The bushes of Tex were nervous wrecks because their sun was dim. But look what happened to him. Alas, our family also carries a bit of a curse. But darling, it could be a great deal worse. Thus ends the verse. Rupert's all about sun and soda pop. Paws on puppy dogs, candy canes. Rupert's all about chocolate bunnies and lazy afternoons and daisy chains. With a little brother like this, you can't help but have a heavy home. With style upon grace and a smile upon his face, and all that's missing is a chromosome. Rupert's all about hugs and valentines. That's why people all say, Hey, Rupert, you're really okay. Oh, isn't he adorable? Rupert's all about hugs and valentines. Milkshake enemas. Fun and play. Rupert's all about Burmese belly rubs, fresh shaved testicles on Christmas Day. With a smile that's a mile and a half, and a laugh and a hearty, how do you do? How do you do? It's a cinch that we will be 
A happy family One plus one plus one Makes two Ropex crazy about taxidermy And KY jelly on a rubber glove So give him a chance for three Let him get to know you And you'll agree That Ropex All about what I have to say about All About Ruprecht. I respect the craft of the intro, which functions as an homage to the droll and frothy patter of Mr. Cole Porter. I enjoy that. Unfortunately, Yazbek's skills as a composer are no match for Ruprecht, a nightmare of a character who had slash has no real place in the zeitgeist. No, thank you. We are trafficking in highly questionable material, beep beep, and no amount of flop sweat justifications or dismissals will make that okay. Before you balk, here are some questions to consider. Who is Ruprecht meant to be if not a person with a mental disability? Why did we collectively ridicule an actor like Cuba Gooding Jr. for playing someone with a mental disability in the film Radio, while giving Norbert Leo Butts a pass on Broadway. Cuba asked for us to care about his character, and we rejected the proposal out of hand. Butts asked for us to laugh at his character, and we took to the streets in celebration. Why? To be clear, I'm using the term we in a highly general sense. Why is it considered okay to laugh at a mentally disabled character so long as we never actually say they have a mental disability? Ruprecht is dumb, if you get my drift. Stupid, slow, a freak of nature, a genetic aberration. We won't go so far as to say he is retarded, because we know that's one step too far, but we'll do everything we can to drive the implication home. Again, just some questions to consider. Cincinnati The morning flight A major bore But then they open the cabin door And zoot to lore Here I am Lord knows I had the will And the resources My mom and dad kept saying Hold your horses I guess those ponies couldn't wait Pardon me folks But they've left the gate I may be late But here I'm only dreaming, please don't wake me. Let the summer sun and breezes take me. Excuse me if I seem jujun, I promise I'll find my mama soon. But everywhere I look, it's like a scene from a book. Open the book and here I am. Oops, sorry. French, that chair is French, this nice sincere sun service. 
fries are French, those guys are French, these fries are French. Pardon me if I fly on the handle. No place else on earth can hold a candle. So Benny V, D, V, C, folks, let's face it, juice we see, see, folks. Excuse me why if I spout. I'm letting my say out. I'm sorry to shout, but he. Forgive me if I am repeating myself. We have recorded over 120 episodes. It's bound to happen. But I am a lollipop, a sucker, if you will, for any arrangement that reminds me of... Ah, you probably know Bacharach. I love Bacharach. I want to live inside the percolating soda pop carbonation that keeps Here I Am afloat because it puts a smile on my face and a spring in my step. Sproing. The same can be said of Sherry Renee Scott, whose performance on this track blows, oh, it blows Luke Gowland butts right out of the water. Sploosh! Out of the pool, boys. Sherry is here for a swim. If the orchestra is like soda pop, Sherry's voice is like a pitcher of shock bright lemonade on a blissful summer day. Would I like another glass? Yes, I would. The skies are French. The pies are French. Those guys are French. These fries are French. I mean, you try delivering. These fries are French. With that level of comedic sincerity, I dare you to try. While we're here, let's get a taste of David Yazbek's demo for Here I Am, because the man, surprised Surprisingly, has a set of pipes that deserve to be heard. Hit it! I mean, the air is French, that chair is French, this nice sincere sancerre is French, the skies are French, the flies are French, those guys are French, these fries are French! Pardon me if I fly off the handle, cause nowhere else on earth can hold a candle. Many VDVC folks, excuse me, je suis easy folks, excuse moi if I spout. I'm letting my shins say out. I'm sorry to shout, but here I mean, come on, those pipes! But wait, how can I compliment the delightful Bacharach stylings of Here I Am without giving proper credit to Harold Wheeler, the fellow responsible for the orchestrations? Mr. Wheeler, I am a fan of your work, and I especially enjoyed this instrumental sequence from The More We Dance. So let's dance!
sat upright and I paid attention throughout that dance break. I had no other choice. The music took hold of me. You do not often find this much personality and style and flair in a typical Broadway dance break, and when you do, you have to stand. And so, we stand.
Is My Legs reads as a parody of Disney duets from the 1990s, or to be more precise, a parody of duets written by Frank Wildhorn and insert lyricist here. I am a fan of Mr. Wildhorn, but his collaborators tend to form one massive, moony-eyed glob of gelatin in my mind. I would like to hear Love Is My Legs as performed by Peebo Bryson and Linda Etter. That's where, that's where I was trying to drive the car. We're here. Hello. Recapture the magic of highlights from the Scarlet Pimpernel before it's too late. Peebo's in his 70s. I don't know how old Linda is, but time is running out. The fake paralysis routine performed by Freddy, a routine that includes fake seizures, is troubling and alienating. Once again, we find ourselves trafficking, beep beep, in dangerous stereotypes. We are perpetuating, we are, we are perpetuating the idea that people exaggerate or falsify their disabilities in order to get ahead, which is eerily similar to the men dressing up as women in order to get ahead trope. Broadway loves a reductive drag story. And in 2005, Broadway loved reductive jokes about a liar in a wheelchair. I blame South Park. This is all very Jimmy Timmy. I suppose one could argue the paralysis scheme is presented to us as being undeniably awful, and the awful man who comes up with it is punished to a certain degree. But songs like Love Sneaks In and Son of Great Big Stuff go out of their way to prove Lawrence and Freddie are not all bad, and in the end, they wind up coming out ahead. The show is intentionally slushy when it comes to any comment on morality. One could also argue, I suppose, that if we can laugh at and with characters like Leo and Max from the producers, we may be able to do the same with the titular scoundrels. These are fictional crooks we are talking about. Lighten up, Jonathan. Loosen your grip. You'll live longer. I am sure able-bodied, neurotypical people like myself could make all sorts of weak-sauce, mealy-mouthed arguments in defense of this week's subject. It is easy for white, able-bodied, neurotypical, heteronormative, cis, and or traditionally attractive, quote-unquote, people to dismiss the concerns of those who are not like them because the conditions of their everyday existence are never exploited for the sake of comedy. Then people laugh at fat jokes because they are not fat and do not give a shit about fat people. Straight people laugh at gay jokes because they are not gay and do not give a shit about gay people. And people who literally walk through life without a care in the world laugh at wheelchairs and weirdo jokes because they do not have to deal with disabilities, most likely do not know anyone with disabilities, and do not give a shit about people with disabilities. When a piece of entertainment asks you to laugh, consider who they are asking you to laugh at or with and why. P.S. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is totally riding on the coattails of the producers, right? It's not even a question, really. And now I would like to close out our score deconstruction segment with a bit of this bonus track. This is a bonus track from the cast album. This is another demo, and it was recorded by Sherry Renee Scott. This is the demo recording for Nothing is Too Wonderful to be True. Look at the way the moon behaves Look at the way she paints a silver ribbon on the waves One thing I've learned and I'll share with you 
too wonderful to be true. Each moment opens like a flower. The age of miracles comes every hour on the hour. Turn any corner, there's something new, and nothing is too wonderful to be true. If I'm perceived to be naive, to be the way I am, let people say I am a silly goof. Is life a plateful? Am I grateful? Every day I am. It's an amazing world in which we live, and I've got living proof. Look at the way the moon behaves. Look at the way. She paints a silver ribbon on the waves, leading directly to me and you. Nothing is too wonderful to be true.
This is just lovely. It is a smoky, undeniably gorgeous performance. I imagine Sherry Renee Scott lounging in a cozy piano bar or a cabaret space or a, you know, a bathhouse in the 1970s. Maybe she has a towel wrapped around her. Oh, I'm sure the boys would have loved her back in the 70s. All right, that's all I have to say regarding the score. It is now time to hear from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678. Good evening. Hello. Yes, come on in. Yes, we're open. Hello. Oh, my goodness. How did I not? I should have recognized you, of course. Little Annie, is that really you? I should have. No, come here. No, no, put that down. Put that down. Jerry, Jerry, come take Miss Annie's laundry. No, no, no. Put your money away. Now, come here. Give me a hug. Oh, Annie, it's been so very long. Oh, yes, of course. I'm doing very well, as you can see. This is one of uh, one of several locations that we have here in New York. But I don't, no, no, I don't want to talk about me. How are you? You look like you're doing very well. Uh, oh, well, uh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Yeah, I, I, of course, heard everything about you and, and Mr. Warbucks, but that's wonderful. An, an apartment of your very own. Well, good for you. I'm glad that you're that you're striking out on your own. Uh, come here. Come here. Come here. Come here. I, I just brewed this this pitcher of five, six, seven, eight coffee. Do you want some? Okay, it's it's really my favorite coffee in the world. Uh, now, Annie, you sit right down there. Jerry's going to take care of everything when it comes to your laundry. We're going to give you a wash and dry and. Uh, and we're going to press anything that you need to have pressed. It's all on the house. But in exchange, I, I, I feel like I do. I would like to have something in exchange. I have here a chessboard, a magnetized, it's a, it's a travel chessboard. It's for traveling purposes, but I keep it here at the laundromat. And I never have anyone to play with because, uh, yes, Jerry, no, 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 no. Jerry, he does not like chess. He does not enjoy chess. I've tried to convince him on uh, many occasions. Would you be willing? to play a game of chess with me while we sip our coffee and wait for your laundry to be finished. You would. Of course you would. Annie, I knew that you would. I, I remember when you were sneaking into my laundry back in the day. You've always been a wonderfully starry-eyed child. Yes, okay, so wonderful. You have no idea how happy I am that you're playing chess with me. I never, I don't have anyone to play with. Okay, so, ah, uh, yes, Annie. This is a wonderful day. I'm glad to have seen you like this. It's, it's wonderful to know that you popped out of my laundry basket and you ran right into life. You ran right toward it. You've always been one of the bravest individuals that I've ever known. Even, even as a child, I thought to myself, there is something different about her. There's something special, a light within her. Enough already. It's time for chess and I'm going to beat you because I, I say that, but I haven't played in a very long time. Let's play. Okay, so um, this, do you know how to play? You don't. Okay, I'll explain it. Okay, let's go. Final thoughts regarding Dirty, Rotten, Scoundrels to review. Here is a list of pros and cons. Pros, starting with the pros. Pro, the music by David Yazbek. Pro, the orchestrations of Harold Wheeler. Pro, the scenic design of David Rockwell. Pro, the lighting design of Kenneth Posner. Ah, Kenneth, you thought you wouldn't be on the pro list? You are, buddy. Pro, the presence of Joanna Gleason. We love Joanna. Pro, the presence of Sherry Renee Scott. Con, uh-oh, we have moved on to the cons. 
Con, the lyrics of David Yazbek. Not your best work, David. Dave, I have to say. Con, the limited stage time and thin material provided to Joanna Gleason. She deserved better. Major con, the alienating comedy stylings of Ruprecht. It reeks. Major con, the alienating comedy stylings of Buzz Benson. It reeks. Now, as a reminder, in 2005, the winner of the Tony Award Award for Best Musical was former subject Monty Python's Spamalot, and the other nominees from that season were The Light in the Piazza, which we have discussed here on the podcast, and the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. We have not talked about that show. That is the only show from this set of nominees that we have not talked about. The question is, did Monty Python's Spamalot deserve to watch? No, no. <laughs> Why do I even have to finish? Why do I have to finish the question? We already answered that question in the Spamalot episode, right? And I believe in the Light in the Piazza episode. Of course, Monty Python's Spamalot did not deserve to win the Tony Award for Best Musical? Absolutely not. That award should have gone to the Light in the Piazza. That show blows all of these other nominees away. It does. End of story. It is now time to rank Dirty Rotten Scoundrels against all of the other shows we have talked about here on the podcast. As always, if you want to check out that ranking, go to twitter.com slash musicalmanpod, access our link tree, go to our spreadsheet. The second tab of that spreadsheet will give you all of that ranking information. There are a few changes to the ranking that I would like to announce here in this episode, but first I will say that Dirty Rotten Scoundrels is going to be at number 83 between Nice Work If You Can Get It at number 82 and Next to Normal at number 84. Now, you might be thinking, hey, Nice Work If You Can Get It at number 82, it's seems like you moved it to number 82. I don't think that was its original slot, was it? It was not. This is part of the changes I was talking about, okay? We moved around a bunch of shows. Number 75 is now The Phantom of the Opera. 76 is Ragtime. 77 is The Wild Party. 78 is Mame. 79 is Memphis. 80 is The Goodbye Girl. Number 81 is Bringing on the Musical. And number 82 is Nice Work If You Can Get It. All of those shows got moved as a big chunk. They all live together now as neighbors in a cul-de-sac in a little suburb. <laughs> all right, that's all I have to say regarding the ranking. It is now time to move on to the show-related ephemera. We are going to listen to Siskel and Ebert's review of the original Frank Oz Dirty Rotten Scoundrels film. This episode of Siskel and Ebert first aired on December 8th, 1988. Let's hear that review now. Yes, monsieur. Who is that? Miss Janet Colgate, monsieur. Who is she? I believe she is the United States soap queen. That's Glenn Headley as the wealthy lady. As for the movie, Kane and Martin are individually funnier than the material they've been given. For all of the trickery, we can easily see where this film is going. Still, there are individual big laughs to be had. But it's less of a movie and more of a two-one-man show, if you follow what I'm saying. It's a close call, but I'm voting thumbs down. I'm voting thumbs up, Gene, but I think I know what you mean about the plot. In other words, what this plot really needed uh, was, a, the cleverness, was the cleverness of a movie like The Sting. Oh, of course. Which totally baffles you because the movie pretends that it's surprising you with all of these reverses and it really isn't so you're right about that it doesn't fool you but I still think that that doesn't matter that much because because Martin and Kane are so funny and especially I mean 
in a movie like this, Kane is perfectly cast because he makes such a good rogue. He's the one who's always kind of over on the side looking at everyone with that superior smile and figuring the odds. Well, Martin is more of the kind of outgoing, less subtle sort of American well, uh, uh, character. I'm not Steve, talking about his acting, yeah. but about his character. The two of them together create a real nice chemistry. Steve Martin is a wonderful clown. I don't think there is chemistry, and that's where the lack of a plot really uh, hurts because I don't find them interacting. What I find them is two individual performances stuck in a bad script. Well, two excellent performances. But I think that here you have two con men, and of course con men are loners. They shouldn't become buddies. I mean, they're in competition. But they should be in competition in some interesting connected way. Uh, and you knew, you, as you said, you could figure it out where I, it was going. Well, still, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. Okay, next movie, and our next movie is Tequila Sunrise. I gotta say, I agree with Siskel more than I agree with Ebert. I do. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rodgers and Hammerstein show, The Stray Dogs, Alone and Forgotten. Everyone ready? Then away we go. Aha! All right, so the next subject of the main feed is a 1959 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. This show ran for 835 performances. I don't think you're gonna guess this one. It's a very obscure title, from my perspective at least. The name of the show is La Plume de Montante otherwise known as The Pen of My Aunt. We had a show set on the French Riviera, and we are now going to move on to a basically French sketch review musical. It's gonna be weird. It's gonna be weird. I'm excited. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Okra Project. You can donate one, three, five, or ten dollars a month. If you donate $1 a month, let's say, what do you get? You get Monday early access to all of our main feed episodes. You get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Thank you so much for donating at least $1 a month. Andy, wait a minute. Andy, you are our latest patron, a brand new patron by the name of Andy. Oh my gosh, Andy. We are so happy to have you on board. Thank you so much, Andy, Elizabeth, Aaron, Jason, Jack, Vitor, Sidney, Katie, Elena, Anton, Ross, HJG, Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marques, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. As a $1 a month tier patron, you also get 17 bonus episodes dedicated to the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, a trailer review for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a full review of the motion picture Cats, Emma at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, Hamilton via Disney Plus, Documentary Now, original cast album, Co-op, John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch, Jingle Jangle, A Christmas Journey, Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square, Arlo the Alligator Boy, a trailer review for Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, Vivo, the Tony Awards present Broadway's Back, Diana, and Annie Live. We're not done with this tier. $1 a month patrons also get all 12 episodes of Season 1 of Radio Boy, a series for which I check in 
connecting with myself via the non-musical theater songs that make me feel more like myself. You also get all 12 episodes of M3, the movie musical man. This is coming back this year. We're going to be producing new episodes of M3, which is all about trilogies, trios of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Again, new episodes coming out this year. Haha, <laughs> look out for them. $3 a month. This tier will get you everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You also get 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, the high school musical podcast, and a special one-off all about Julie and the Phantoms. $5 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss on the podcast. You get seasons 1 and 2, 24 episodes of All I Ask of You, an advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera. You get access to our Broadway and Chicago review series, our latest episode, which is all about Oklahoma, just dropped last week, and our next review will be dropping on February 9th. That will be all about Hairspray. You also get volumes 1, 2, 3, and 4 of Shout About It. These are compendiums, collections, if you will, of 5, 6, 7, 8 coffee ads and musical shoutouts from the first 100 episodes of the show. Finally, $10 a month will get you everything I've already described, plus exclusive announcements regarding future subjects of the main feed, season 1, 12 episodes of The Snub Club, a series dedicated to musicals that were snubbed, they were not nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and you also get the first six episodes of Turn It Off, a series dedicated to off-Broadway musicals, Emojiland, Soft Power, The Fantastics, We Are the Tigers, Bat Boy, and A Strange Loop. We are returning to this series. We are going to be producing another six episodes of Turn It Off starting February 23rd. That episode will be all about Songs for a New World and Tick, Tick, Boom. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts or Podchaser, please take a moment to write a five-star review. We want 65-star reviews. We only have 52 at this time. Once we get to 60, I will produce and release a special episode all about Disney's Zombies franchise. You can stream the show via Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, or Podbean, musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email me at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. I love to get emails. Thanks as always to Patty and Benny. Ah, you love me. I love you. We all, one day we will all have little propeller beanies. Oh, that's true. Oh, goodness. Alex Green, thank you for our beautiful logo. Zach Little, thank you for our intro and outro music. Uh-oh. You know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long. Farewell. Off Wiedersehen and good night. Next time, we'll be back with reviews of more holiday movies, including Rain Man, about two very different brothers, played by Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise. And we'll also review Working Girl, with Melanie Griffith as a secretary, trying to get ahead on Wall Street while competing with Sigourney Weaver and conspiring with Harrison Ford. That's next week, and until then, the balcony is closed. (laughs) 
Raisinets and Goobers are playing everywhere, starring plump, juicy raisins and great golden peanuts. Both now feature creamy Nestle milk chocolate. Sony Videotapes. For taping your favorite movies, trust Sony Dynamicron ES. Whatever your videotape needs, there's only one name to play back, Sony. After work or after workout, Daisy Turbo Spa combines powerful water massage and tingling aeration to turn your tub into a personal whirlpool. What's great for kids and parents? A bucket full of Duplo blocks and Lego bricks. Now you can store the toys that build great imaginations. Once again, I found myself horrified to find I was missing several tracks from this album. Ah, oh, my goodness. And so I bought a fresh... Ugh. Oh! <laughs> oh, no.